Open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I want to remind you of something that we're well established in, but I want you to love it more than you've loved it before, and I hope that the Spirit of God will bless us as we consider this subject so basic, so fundamental to the faith of the gospel, but I hope that you will love the Savior that we talk about this morning. Amen. Our first parents chose in the Garden of Eden to rebel against the Most High God. And they sinned, and because of the covenant relationship that God had made with them, they placed all of us into a state of condemnation under God by which we all were guilty of eating the fruit off that tree, by which we all deserved an eternal hell. That's the doctrine of representation taught in Romans chapter 5. Not only that, because we proceed from the loins of our father Adam, we have his nature, which is a God-hating nature. There is no love of God nor fear of God in the heart of man. And so we come into this world with a horribly depraved, God-hating, sin-loving, deceitful nature. And we fulfill that nature and obey it by giving our willing service to the God of this world, Satan himself. And we are the children of wrath, even as others, with no difference in our nature from all other sinners. That's the state that we are in because of what our first parents did in the Garden of Eden. I am not going to preach a difficult sermon this morning. All of you children can understand, and I want you all established in the truth. We're in Genesis chapter 3, and our first parents have sinned against God, and we ha- and, the- and have placed the entire human race under the condemnation of a holy God with nothing but eternal hell and the infinite judgment of God to rest upon us forever and ever. But there in the very beginning, we have a promise made that God was going to send a deliverer. God was going to send a Savior to deliver us from that condemnation. And so I want to lead you from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible very quickly here by reading some of those promises to set the stage for considering the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Lord God speaking to the serpent And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, that is the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise not its heel, his heel. We have in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 a promise of a male descendant of the woman, Eve, that would be the destroyer of the serpent, which is Satan, the devil, that dragon. There's the promise, Genesis 3.15. If you'll notice the choice of pronouns, it's a male descendant of Eve that would bruise the head of Satan. Let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. This is the gospel of God. This is is glad tidings of good things. We are part of a race under condemnation. We are condemned to die an eternal death 
by the Lord God, our Creator. But from the beginning, there's been a promise of a Redeemer. And so we come to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And I will read this to you from the King James Bible so that we do get the proper words. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There's that male descendant. Bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. I'm not going to read to you from the Revised Standard Version that would say, Behold, a young woman shall conceive, because it is a virgin that conceived, because Jesus Christ had God to be his Father. Let's turn a couple of pages to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. You say, is there really a Bible that takes away the word virgin from Isaiah 7.14? Everyone knows that Isaiah 7.14 is a prophecy of a virgin. Yes, there are Bible versions that take that away. And the Bible versions popular in this country, the National Council of Christian Churches, and organizations like that that endorsed the Revised Standard Version in 1952, took away the virgin promise of Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There's that male descendant. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. The Prince of Peace. We have a deliverer promised in Isaiah 9, 6 that will be the Prince of Peace because he's going to bring peace between God and his children. Let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. These are the verses that the Apostle Paul could go into a synagogue and show their fulfillment to all the Jews that Jesus Christ of Nazareth fulfilled these promises. Jeremiah 31 and verse 22. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Now, brethren, women have been having boys for a long time. But this is a new thing in the earth. So this is a different kind of a birth. And this is a birth that is called a creation. And it's a woman compassing a man. Now, no woman has given birth to a man, but there is a woman that gave birth to a child that became the man, Christ Jesus. This is a promise of a new thing in the earth that we're leading up toward from Jeremiah chapter 31. Now, let's go to John chapter 1 in the New Testament. John chapter 1. And we'll read the 14th verse there. We've read about a son coming. It'd be a new thing in the earth. A creation. We read in John 1.14, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 There we have the fulfillment now as John writes about the Word of God becoming flesh and being the only begotten of God, the firstborn of God. 
His Son. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. This is the great message of the gospel. There is nothing going on yesterday or today or tomorrow or this next week that is even close in importance to this message that I'm telling you. That there was born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I love preaching it in the latter days of Lent. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. There is that Son being sent forth from God, made of a woman, promised all the way back to our first parents in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And here it is, Paul saying, was fulfilled when God's time had run its course. He sent His Son, made of a woman. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before I read 1 Timothy chapter 3, go back one chapter to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I don't want to neglect this, because for all of Eve and her daughters, who were cursed for taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, with multiplied sorrow and conception, childbearing would be a difficult thing. And yet, because they were foolish in the Garden of Eden, and so God judged them with severe subordination to their husbands, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, in spite of that, we have these words, notwithstanding, in this, I mean, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. There is a salvation provided in childbearing. And that isn't your childbearing, because there wasn't much salvation there for you. There was no difference between the birth you had and the birth of every pagan and infidel around you. But there is a childbearing that provides salvation, and it's the childbearing of a young virgin girl named Mary in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you women can be part of that salvation You can show it to yourselves and your consciences by continuing in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety for those of the marks of a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we come to chapter 3 and verse 16. The apostle writes, and without controversy, that means there's no doubt about this matter. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is a great mystery, and we understand it. We are blessed abundantly. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The holy, eternal, invisible, immortal God was made flesh in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 12. And so we come to the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 12. And still the theme is the same. God would raise up a child to be the deliverer of His people. To magnify His glory in the earth and in the heavens. As even the angels desire to look into these things because there was no seed provided for them. It's just for us. 
And so they desire to look into these things according to 1 Peter chapter 1. But I read in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5, speaking of a woman described in the first three verses, first two verses, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Amen. amen and amen. We read about that child and we read about his throne in Psalm 89, verses 19 through 37. Let's turn our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and let's consider this morning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the last two Sundays, I have presented Jesus Christ to you as Lord. Today, I want to present him to you as Savior. And I pray the Holy Spirit to bless your hearts to consider him. It's not by might nor by power, and it's not by word nor by eloquence by which you come to love the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. But I hope that you will submit yourself to that spirit this morning and seek by girding up the loins of your mind and humbling yourself before the Word of God and listening to what I have to say and considering what God has brought us all this morning, and that is to consider our Lord Jesus Christ and His birth. There is no news that you will ever be told like what I just told you. Adam and Eve knew instantly the shame and condemnation that they were under. There was no hope for them. They were being thrown out of the Garden of Eden and away from the presence of God. And yet right there in Genesis chapter 3, there was a promise made, and that promise kept up through a very small minority of the human race for the 6,000 years to us that there would be a deliverer. And for the last 2,000 years, we know who that deliverer would be and was. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you love him this morning. Imperfection in your life, in your works, in everything you do. Imperfection in the natural creation, depravity of hearts, sickness, trouble, death, judgment, and hopelessness all flow from the fact that our first parents wanted to defy the Lord God and eat the fruit off that tree. And we are in a world now that is in a course of destruction, except for a deliverer. There is a Savior that God sent for us. Rome has stolen the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to take it back. Amen. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 are our chapters. They're not Roman, Rome's chapters. Rome doesn't have a weak clue as to the person of Mary nor her son. Right. They are infidels. They have denied the faith and they've rejected the gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not celebrate Christmas for very good reasons. Because Christmas is not a Christian holiday. Christmas is a Roman Catholic pagan day of remembrance of sun worship. It existed long before the time of Jesus. It was never commanded in the Bible. It was set up by the Catholics, and it's honored by the Catholics, and all Baptists, when they celebrate it, know that they have just become Catholics because they call the day Christ's Mass. We have nothing to do with that day. But because of that, we've sometimes been afraid of Matthew 1, Luke 1, Luke 2, and the other chapters that speak of our Lord Jesus Christ's birth, and we shouldn't be. 
Rome has combined the memory of the birth of our Jesus Christ with pagan superstition and corrupted it. Not only that, she idolizes Mary as some sinless and translated mediatrix. They believe that Mary is a mediator between God and men. That she was born sinless. It's called the Immaculate Conception of Mary. That she never had sex with Joseph. It's called the Perpetual Virginity of Mary. That she ascended into heaven and never did die. It's called the Ascension of Mary. It's all ridiculous hocus-pocus of the Roman Catholic whore. Right. In order to steal away the glory of the birth of Jesus Christ. Mary is not the Queen of Heaven and she's not the Mother of God. Mm-hmm. She's the Mother of the Only Begotten Son of God the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The Catholics want to limit the Lord Jesus Christ to two scenes. One, He's a hopeless infant in a manger. Two, He's a hopeless martyr hanging on a cross. But our Lord Jesus Christ is neither in a manger nor on a crucifix. Our Lord Jesus Christ is on a throne that's established in heaven forever. And He sits as Lord. Right. She promotes the sonship of the Son of God as originating in eternity by some mysterious process of eternal generation rather than by the glorious event that takes place in the first chapters of our Gospels. Amen. <clears throat> Let her and her doctrines go to hell. Right. Let us humble ourselves before the Holy Scriptures of God and love what we have here for us. Right. Matthew chapter 1, let's think, let's think about Joseph for just a few minutes this morning. You know what I do when I get to Matthew chapter 1? I read the first verse. Do you know what I do when I read the first verse? I start out with the first clause. And do you know when I read the first clause? It excites my soul. Does it excite yours? The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now this book is not written about something that happened in eternity. This book is written about something that happened in time just 2,000 years ago. This is the generation of Jesus Christ. And I get excited. Brethren, look at your Bibles. Just hold them up. Hold them up. What do we have? About one quarter of it in the New Testament? For three quarters of the Bible, men were not told about Jesus Christ except in those prophecies, a few of which we read. And now we have the New Testament, and it tells us the generation of Jesus Christ. Amen. The first words. Do you know what the New Testament is all about? Do you need to guess this morning? It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the new covenant. And it's all wrapped up in Him. Is your life wrapped up in Him? Amen. Do you love Him? Do you want to serve Him? Amen. Do you hate the things He hates? Do you love the things He loves? That's a true Christian. Right. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 and all the way down to verse 16, we have the genealogy of Joseph. Joseph was a son of Abraham. That made him a Jew. He was a son of David. That means that any offspring or anyone that he raised would be officially and legally the son of David. It's interesting reading through that genealogy, and I don't have time to point out to you some of the blessings that are in that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, but I want to tell you, women who are sinners, if there are any women here this morning that are sinners, I want you to know that the only women that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 are the great sinners in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rahab the harlot, Tamar, 
the daughter-in-law of Judah, Bathsheba. They're the ones mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Is he the God of all comfort? Amen. He is indeed. He is indeed. Listen to this verse when we come to the 18th verse. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Do you want to be wise about the birth of Jesus Christ? Amen. Then all we have to do is read and believe. And every child in here can understand uh, what we're going to cover. We were all condemned to hell, but God sent a Redeemer for us. And the message about that Redeemer is the greatest news we have, can, or ever will hear. That God sent a Redeemer for us. And this New Testament that we have is about that Redeemer. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was espoused to his father, Joseph. It doesn't say that, does it? Because Joseph wasn't his father. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Joseph and Mary were engaged. Joseph was a great example and a role model for all the young men and older men in this assembly. And Mary is a great example and a great role model for every girl in this assembly. And I want to present Mary as an example, and I don't want to present her with a halo around her head like the Catholics do, but Mary was one sweet, gracious, God-loving, God-fearing, spirit-filled, virtuous virgin of Israel. Right. And every young girl ought to aspire to be like this girl. But Mary's not yet. It's time for Joseph. Joseph is engaged to Mary. That's what the word espoused means when it's used in a context like this. They were under a contract to be married. And that is not like engagements in the United States that are broken. You don't break contracts like this. This was marriage without being consummated. That's right. He hadn't come together with his engaged wife, Mary. They hadn't come together yet. They hadn't consummated it yet. They had not had sex together yet. But she was pregnant. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, we're not told what Joseph heard about that. He just heard that she was pregnant. When she conceived by the Holy Ghost, she immediately left her home in Nazareth and went to be with Elizabeth for three months. When she came back, obviously, she would have been showing signs of being pregnant, and Joseph was informed of that, and we're not told anymore. I would hope that a just man, and I would believe that a just man, would have given her a chance to defend herself and so she would have told him what the angel had told her that we're going to read in a few minutes. But we're not told any of that. All we're told is this. The man had a terrible dilemma on his hands. Amen. His fiancée was pregnant, and he had several options. He could take her to court and have her tried and have her stoned. He could marry her and cover her transgression. Or he could put her away privately so as not to ruin her and show a bitter and hateful spirit. What does the Bible say? Verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. I want to tell all you young men about Joseph. Joseph was engaged to a virgin. That's why she's called the Virgin Mary. 
That's why she was prophesied of as a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. And that's why we read about her in a few minutes from Luke chapter 1. She was a virgin. That's because she was engaged to a man of the character of Joseph. And every young man in this assembly had better have as one of his chief goals in any relationship with any girl to protect her virtue and her virginity and her soul. Amen. He was a just man. He was fair and righteous. He was just so he didn't overlook her transgression. Because there are standards of righteousness to be upheld. And when a woman breaks them, she, she shows an evil character. Now, evil character can be forgiven when a person repents. And God forgives completely and forever. But Joseph was a just man. But he was also fair, and he didn't have her stoned. We don't know what he heard from Mary. But I want to provoke all of you young men this morning to have the character of Joseph, to protect the virtue of young women. Our society has now created a role model of young men. The successful ones are the ones who can bed the most women. That is the role model of our society. That is what is sold on television, the devil's pulpit, and it's sold everywhere else. And all, and all such fornicators and adulterers will have their part in the lake of fire. Right. You young men should be, want to be like Joseph. Right. Then Joseph, her husband, husband by contract, not husband in fact, husband by contract, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, and can you imagine, and I want you to think about it, the grief in his heart, when you meet this Mary in Luke chapter 1, you'll know that Joseph had found himself a wonderful woman, that God had blessed him abundantly to have a Mary. But here he is perplexed in his thoughts. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, how many men have ever heard a dream like that? Think about it, brethren. We have a, we have a, a young couple. They're engaged. She's pregnant. He finds out about it. He's perplexed. He's troubled. But the Lord appears to him and comforts him and says, Don't be afraid to take her to be your wife. A man would be afraid to take to wife a woman that wasn't a virgin. Because if she's not a virgin, that gives indications that she's an unfaithful woman. Because she doesn't have the character and the discipline to say no. Now God can forgive any woman who's ever failed in that measure. God can forgive that sin as easily and as quickly as he forgives any sin. But let it be understood, God has a standard. And that standard is virginity. And so the Lord comforts Joseph to go ahead and marry this woman, that there is no fear that she's been running around on him for the last three months while she was away with Elizabeth, that what's conceived and growing inside her is of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, she shall bring forth a son. There's no doubt about the sex of this child. He didn't have to pray for it. She shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. And don't you love our King James translation that puts that name Jesus in all capital letters? 
Do you think that's there by chance? Do you think they sat around and had to discuss that one long? I don't care if they discussed it for two weeks. I know who put it there, and that's the Lord God to lift up the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he shall save his people from their sins. Brethren, there's us. There's the seed of David. Joseph, thou son of David, she's going to have a son. Go ahead and be her husband. Go ahead and be the legal father of that child because it's of the Holy Ghost. He's going to be great. And I want you to name him Jesus. Jehovah I am that I am is the Savior because he's going to save his people from their sins. There is our deliverer. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? I don't have a manger scene for you. We're not to Luke 1 yet. I don't have any halos over anyone yet. But do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, of the Lord, by the prophet, saying, and here we have that prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, boy, there's no waiting on this matter, is there? That woman is pregnant and she needs a husband. Being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus, capital J, capital E, capital S, capital U, capital S. Jesus, Jehovah God, I am that I am, is the Savior. Amen. I want to tell you a little bit more about Joseph. Joseph didn't know her for over six months. Now that's a man that can keep his vessel under discipline and keep his body under to the glory of God. And that's what every young man better learn. I want to tell you, you want to know what the will of God for your life is? God doesn't care where you work. Where you work is one of the most stupid waste of time for you to engage your soul in compared to, compared to fulfilling the will of God in righteousness in your life. Who cares where you work and who cares how much you make? Those are irrelevant considerations about a man. In fact, measured by the New Testament... And the scriptures that are given there, successful men are giving evidence that God has forsaken them for eternity. Because the Bible says, can't you see your calling, brethren? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That God has not called very many rich. He's chosen the poor things of this world and the base things of this world and the foolish things of this world to bring to naught the things that are. Never be ashamed of your income. Never be ashamed of your car or your house. Be ashamed if you're not living up to the righteous standards of the Holy God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who is your Savior. Amen. And up to a standard like Joseph, who did not know her. Right. She was in his house with him. They didn't have five bedroom houses in those days. But he didn't touch her. Amen. Until she had brought forth our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to tell you that he did touch her as soon as she brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ. I hate Rome and all of her false ideas about Mary. Mary was no perpetual virgin. You can read in the Bible about the names of four of Jesus' brothers and that he had plural sisters. And their names are given to us in the Word of God. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simeon. He had a whole pile of brothers. 
You say they could have been cousins. Maybe the Bible just uses the word brother. Go to, go to Psalm 69 then and find out that my mother's children were the ones that did not believe on Jesus initially. Psalm 69. They were his blood brothers. Through Mary. Did you know that if we went to that same Bible version, I have it up here in the pulpit, and read Matthew one twenty-five? do you think? Look at what it says. He knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. When a woman has a firstborn son, what else do you think she had? More. Did she have more? Amen. We believe that, don't we? Yes. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25 from the Revised Standard Version. But knew her not till she had borne a son. And he called his name Jesus. Takes out the word firstborn because it wants to establish the doctrine of Mary's perpetual virginity. If Mary was a perpetual virginity for even two months after Jesus was born, she was a wicked woman because she was defrauding her husband. By 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 5. Mary didn't do that. Mary was a real woman, and Mary had a whole pile of children for Joseph as soon as Jesus was born. But I want to point out that Joseph is a just man. Joseph is a just man. How long did it take Joseph to to move? When God appeared to him and told him to do something, was he squeamish about it? Did he ask a whole lot of questions? Did he say, would you make the fleece wet and all the ground around it dry? Would you make the fleece dry and all the ground around it wet? Would you give me a sign from heaven? And the Lord said, I've given you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. You know that woman that you've set your eyes on? She's a virgin. You know her character. Marry her. What's conceived inside of her is of the Holy Ghost. And he rose in the night and did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife, and he was disciplined. He kept his vessel in honor. Let me go back. I sort of lost my train of thought back there a minute ago. You want to know the will of God for your life? It isn't where you work. God doesn't care. And neither do we. Do you know the will of God for your life? It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God that ye abstain from fornication. Right. I sent an email out this week because your pastor cares about this church and he cares about each one of you and your children. This world is out to get its hook in us in female immorality and female immodesty. And we, I'm not going to allow it. Amen. I'm going to fight it with everything I have. Amen. I hear about some of the most ridiculous fight. Who cares about what government's doing to us? Who cares if they've put AIDS in our milk? God's in charge of all such things. Amen. No pestilence can come near our houses. Right. You can't stop it if they did. Amen. All those battles are irrelevant. Do you know what the real battles are? Yeah. The battles for our souls. Right. Where Satan is trying to get a foothold into our lives and corrupt us with immorality and ungodliness and wickedness. Amen. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. I've already ruined the timing for today. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Amen. I knew my ambitions were unrealistic, but I set them anyway every Sunday. I have whatever treasure I have in a very earthen vessel. It's made of mud. But may God be praised if he can give you something from this message this morning that will cause you to love the Lord Jesus Christ, that I will be one thankful servant regardless of how disappointed I am. One thankful servant. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, 
that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Notice what Paul is concerned about, how they were walking to please God more and more. And there's nothing mentioned in there about your house, your car, or your job. It's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament because he doesn't care. It's so irrelevant. It's like what color of a shirt you're going to wear this morning. A job is simply to survive so that you can serve. It's not to get ahead. Do you know how you get ahead? It's loving the Lord Jesus Christ more today than you did yesterday. That's getting ahead. It's living more godly today than you did last week. That's getting ahead. That's success. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not the gain on your W-2 from one year to the next. You've set your eyes on pig slop. Set your eyes on the Lord. Are we growing in the Lord? And I love Him more than I have. And I want to love Him more and I want you to love Him more. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren. Yes, I know I'm reading it again. And exhort you by the Lord Jesus. This is an appeal to the Lord Jesus Christ that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Is he your Lord Jesus? These are his commandments. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So many men run into the word sanctification and they want to go off into theological speculation about some deep, dark, and mysterious transaction in the Godhead toward men. Do you want to know what sanctification is? It's keeping the sexual parts of your body holy. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That is having sex with anyone at any time in any way other than your spouse. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. There is my definition for sanctification in this context. Not in the lust of concupiscence, which is unbridled sexual desire, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. And what matters are under consideration? Messing around with someone sexually, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth what? despiseth this law about keeping the sexual parts of your body holy, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave those commandments and the Apostle Paul reinforced them and warned about their punishment, bless the reading of his word. First Thessalonians chapter 4. That's the will of God. Amen. That's the will of God. Now every one of your friends... In your neighborhoods, do not believe this. The television doesn't preach this. They preach a different religion. The schools don't practice it. Our society has turned its backs on God. The more sex, the better. And they're all unhappy. They're committing suicide. They're on drugs. And they're miserable without hope in the world. 
because the only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and loving Him and keeping your vessel holy and sanctified and fit for the Master's use. And you know what? I'm not angry. My wife tells me I frown so much when I preach to you. I'm not angry, except against sin in our society. I love all of you, and I want to save you. I haven't always been the best example to you. But try me now. I want to save you. Are the young men of this assembly as noble as Joseph and worthy of a virgin like Mary? What a goal. That ought to be hanging on your wall instead of some picture of Sylvester Stallone. God help us. I don't think we have any young people that stupid. Are you young men wanting to be as noble and are you as noble and as virtuous and as disciplined? Do you have your vessel under control so that you can be called a just man and look like the character of this Joseph and be worthy of a virgin like Mary or not? Are you thankful for a Holy Ghost conception that took place 4,000 years after the fall to give us a Savior, brethren? Are you thankful that there was a man that was woken up in the middle of the night in a dream and told by an angel to go ahead and marry his fiance, Mary? And that what was in her was conceived of the Holy Ghost? Are you thankful for that this morning? Well, that's Joseph, brethren. I want all the young men to love Joseph. And I want all the young women to settle for nothing less than a Joseph. If all of you young women would have a little bit of discipline and let it be known that you wouldn't accept anyone less than a Joseph, guess what that does to the eager beavers called young men? They'll all want to become like Joseph's with the greatest stimulus that you could give them by keeping your purity and being virtuous yourselves and expecting nothing less than a just, noble, pure, and holy, sexually disciplined young man like Joseph. And all of you young men, if you make it known that you want to marry and that you will accept nothing less than someone with the character of Mary, that puts a burden on all the young women. The very burden that all of us as parents ought to be teaching our children. Amen. For the boys to grow up to be like Joseph and the girls to grow up to be like Mary. Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Please don't answer unless you're absolutely sure of my question. Is Mary the Blessed Virgin? She was. Mary is not the Blessed Virgin, but she was a Blessed Virgin. She was greatly blessed. And to read about Mary and to take her back from the Catholics and liberate her. And if the Lord is opening her eyes and opening the heavens for her to see down into this assembly that we are considering her birth at some time other than the winter solstice on December 25th, she is liberated, brethren. She's rejoicing right now with the angels in heaven that someone is considering her in light of Scripture away from a day dedicated to sun worship for the last 4,000 years. And we won't be able to look at all that I had for you today, but we'll look at some. Luke chapter 1, and we come to verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. The first 25 verses were about Zacharias and the promise to him of a son named John. Verse 26, and in the sixth month, the sixth month of what? The sixth month month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, she who was called barren, 
we have two miracles taking place in Judea. Isn't it exciting? I'll trust the Holy Spirit to make it exciting to your souls because I can't. And for me to try to do it in the flesh is a vain battle. I trust the Lord to do it for you. Luke 1, 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We've looked at Matthew chapter 1 that told us these, some of these events leading up to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ from Joseph's vantage point and from Joseph's side. Now we come to Luke chapter 1, and we get to see it from a young girl's side. I could tell you all the things that I've read in the last couple of weeks about what tradition says about this girl, but would I be giving you anything worth listening to? No. It would be entertaining, wouldn't it? But what would it be entertaining? The fleshly desires of your heart, rather than what the Bible limits us to, because what the Bible has given is sufficient to make the man of God perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all doctrine. Amen. So this is what it tells us about Mary. We don't know how old she is here. But we can presume that in the case of most Jews, she was not an old girl because they married very quickly. As you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul refers to a girl passing the flower of her age. And that wasn't 21. That was 12 and a half. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as you get toward the end of that chapter. But here we have Mary introduced to us, who was a virgin, which all young girls should aspire to with their whole hearts, because 1 Thessalonians 4 was not just written to young men, but it was written to young women also. She was engaged to Joseph, who was a carpenter that also lived in the city of Nazareth, which we can gather by looking at other passages. She also was the daughter of David. I want you to turn a couple pages and look at Luke chapter 3, I'm not going to elaborate on this, but I just want to show you that we have another genealogy very different. In Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ was Joseph's, and it came through which son of David? I mentioned a mother. Does that help? When we were back there in Matthew chapter 1, I mentioned Solomon. Very good. Came through Solomon. Matthew chapter 1, Joseph descended through Solomon, the son of David. Now here in Luke 3, we have a different genealogy, because if you look at it, in verse 31, you will see that this genealogy descends through Nathan, the son of David. It's a very different genealogy. This is the genealogy of Mary. It's written by Luke, the doctor, looking at the biological descent and generation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke wrote to Gentiles. He wrote as a doctor, and he, and he shows the origin of the Lord Jesus Christ, tracing him all the way back to Adam. Not the Jewish origin that would be official and legal back to Abraham, but the human origin of Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam through Mary, his mother. Let's come back to Luke chapter 1. When you read about Mary, and we're given, we're given more about Mary than we were Joseph, when you read about her and you consider, you wonder how much she knew about Isaiah 7.14. Right. How can you meditate upon these verses in here without, we know the verse, did Mary know the verse? 
We know that the 70 weeks of Daniel were about to be fulfilled. Did Mary know that the verses were about to be fulfilled? Simeon did. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He knew that it was close, and so God had promised him in later in this book, at the very toward the end of Luke chapter 2, the Lord had told him, you're not going to have to die before you see the Lord's Christ. He knew that the time was drawing nigh for Jesus, the Messiah, to be born. What did Mary know? We, we're not told. We're not told. But how could there be a Jewish girl with the time approaching, with a clock winding, that wouldn't be wondering who was going to be such a virgin chosen from Israel to be the mother of Emmanuel, God with us? Instead of our young women aspiring to be that virgin, I wish our young women would aspire to be a virgin like Mary. Verse 28, Gabriel is sent from God to speak with Mary. And we read in verse 28, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Here is a woman that is so in touch with the Lord God and so humble before him that when an angel appears, she is not moved by the presence of an angel from the presence of God. Now, when I read about men meeting angels, they fall on their face, scared to death. But this girl, this young virgin of Israel is not afraid of Gabriel. She's not afraid of his presence. She's just taken with spiritual wonderment at his salutation. Do you notice that? Now, there's only one way that a person can be that confident when an angel from God comes. You have a close relationship with that God. And so when an angel appears, instead of being startled and scared, running out of the room... She listens to his words, and she is not in a state of amazement. She doesn't just hear noise from this terrible creature called Gabriel. She hears, she considers, she understands that great things are being said about her, and so she asks the meaning of those words. The angel has said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. I mean, that's quite a good morning, isn't it? When you're told that the Lord is with thee and that you're highly favored and that you're blessed among women, you have been singled out from among women for the blessing of God. He's with you and you are highly favored. Her spiritual understanding and the submissiveness of her soul and the graciousness of her soul and the composure of her soul was one to consider the words rather than the event. What a woman. What a woman. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. You know, we we learned something about Mary. She was a very reflective woman. We're going to read numerous times that she kept all these sayings and pondered them in her heart. Right. For all you ponderers, 
Here's a pondering woman. She wasn't superficial. She kept, and she's casting things about in her heart right now. What in the world could God have for me, and why am I being addressed like this? Do you know how poor this woman was? She had the Lord of glory. And 40 days after he was born, she was to take an offering to dedicate him to the Lord because he opened her womb. That was a law of God. That the firstborn, the male that opened the matrix of a woman was to be dedicated with an offering. She took a poor woman's offering. This woman was so poor that when she came with her husband at the time of taxation into the city of Bethlehem, there was no room made for them. And so they stayed in a barn. She was poor. She was of the royal seed of David, but she was poor. And she accepted that, and she understood it, and it didn't bother her a bit. All she was wondering is, what could the Lord be saying to me since I'm such an insignificant, obscure, lost daughter of David? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. Don't worry about what I've said, because thou hast found favor with God. Now, is that a goal? Can we find favor with God? Don't we pray that every time we pray almost? Lord, that what I do might be pleasing in thy sight. That's to find favor with God. This is Mary. Gabriel comforts her by pointing out that she has found favor with God. And now he explains what this blessing is. In verses 31 through 33. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. The sex is pretty well established in this promise, isn't it? Just as it was in Matthew chapter 1. There's a son because Satan was going to bruise his heel. Shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name. And there we have it again. Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. There is the promise made to her. You're going to conceive in your womb. You're going to have a son. He's going to be the son of the highest. I'm giving to him. God is giving to him. I am the messenger, the throne of his father David. I know that the house of David has fallen by the wayside, but God is going to give your son the throne of David, and he's going to sit on that throne and have a kingdom and reign over the house of David forever. Forever. Now, there were promises made in that Old Testament. We read one this morning in our unified reading of Psalm 89 that there would be someone sitting on the throne of David forever. And here Mary was being told those words by Gabriel that it was going to be her son. She responds by saying in verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She doesn't say, This is impossible. She doesn't say, Would you make the fleece wet and the ground dry? She just wants to know, How can this be, seeing I know not a man? And I want to tell you what's in that verse. This is a virgin that is not a bare virgin. This is a virgin 
that is confirmed, that is a confirmed virgin and a resolved virgin, and she's going to be a virgin, and so she wants to know how in the world could she conceive and have a son because she knows not a man. There's no question about her life, and she's confident in that, and so she asks not a question of doubt. She She just wants a little curiosity satisfied as how this is going to take place. And I want to tell you that when you ask an angel the wrong question, you don't get a very pleasant answer back. Zacharias, over here in the first few verses of Luke chapter 1, he didn't ask the right questions or respond the right way to the angel that came to him. And so he was left dumb and could not speak for the nine months that Elizabeth carried that baby. Very different from Mary. And that's going to be pointed out by Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, later in this chapter. She is going to point out that Mary handled the announcement from Gabriel a lot better than her husband did. Mary said, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And we love Luke one thirty-five because it tells us the Bible origin of the Son of God, the holy thing being born of a virgin, which was the result of the power of the highest coming upon her and the Holy Ghost overshadowing her. That's the Son of God because God had a son for the first time right here. God did not have a son in eternity. God was God. God had the promise of a son. God had the covenant of a son. But God did not yet have a son until Jesus of Nazareth was born of the Virgin Mary. Because that is what we believe. That is the testimony of all of Scripture. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And there was no Jesus Christ until Mary had a baby. There was the Word of God. And the Word was God. And the Word was in the beginning with God. But there was no son of God, because until Mary had a baby, God did not have a son. And that is what we believe, and it's the whole testament it's the whole testimony of the New Testament. What are we supposed to believe before we're baptized? I don't care if you're black and you've been messed up physically and you're in a chariot on your way down to Ethiopia in Acts chapter eight and verse thirty seven. Right. What's the message that's supposed to be believed? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is our doctrine of sonship. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There was no Jesus Christ until there was a baby born in Bethlehem right. where Joseph, the legal father, and Mary, the biological mother, named him Jesus. Then God had a son. That's what we believe about the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary asks, how can, it poss- how can I possibly conceive because I haven't known a man, and, God, and, and Gabriel explains to her, God is going to send his power upon you, and there's going to be a supernatural conception. Didn't Jeremiah 31, 22 tell us that? God's going to create a new thing in the earth? A woman's going to compass a man. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, oh, the Lord is so good. When you show a little faith, the Lord is comforting. And behold, do you know what the the message was a few verses earlier? Behold, you're going to be dumb for nine months. Now, because Mary believed and believed well and believed strongly, 
God's going to comfort her with another miracle that she can go check out for the comfort of her soul. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, in verse 36, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now, why didn't Mary already know about this? Because Elizabeth hid herself. If you look back to verse 24, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. That's why Mary didn't know yet. And so Gabriel's letting her in in a little secret. You've got a cousin named Elizabeth that everyone knows is barren. She's conceived a son in her old age, and she's already six months along. And Gabriel says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Do you all believe that this morning? What problems do you have in your life? What mountain do you need to climb? What valley do you need to cross? Or what valley are you in? With God, nothing shall be impossible. Just believe. Just believe. That's how Gabriel ends up. And Mary said, Oh, for women like Mary, listen to these words. This is the graciousness that Jonathan saw in David in 1 Samuel 18 and loved him as his own soul in one short conversation. And I hope you love Mary this morning and her character that's given by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we can aspire by his grace to have such character. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Is that faith? Amen. Is that faith? You're going to conceive and have a baby without knowing a man. Wouldn't you want to ask just a few more questions? Wouldn't you want to get pumped up and excited? Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. She totally believes. And she's totally submissive to it. Be be it unto me according to thy word. She doesn't say, I really am blessed. Thank you, Gabriel. She calls herself a servant. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I'm going to end here. Three things I've wanted to accomplish this morning. Two of which are minor and one of which is major. The first minor is for all the young men to aspire for the character of Joseph, the man that God chose to be the husband of the Virgin Mary, who was the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, that the young girls and the women in this assembly would aspire to be like the Virgin Mary herself with the holiness and the submissiveness and the relationship with God that was so close and so intimate and so personal. She wasn't moved by an angel in her room. She just wanted to know what the blessing from God meant. And when she was explained to her, she didn't have further questions. She didn't balk. She simply said, I'm the Lord's servant. Be it unto me exactly as you've spoken it. Do we have any young women that want to be like that? Every one of our children should be promote. They should have promoted before their eyes the role models of Joseph and Mary. Amen. And may God bless us to have an assembly filled with Josephs and Marys that would preserve themselves and be holy to the Lord. That they would be sanctified in, a, in the real sense of that word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But brethren, most of all, I want to tell you 
that the condemnation that lay heavy upon us, that was going to press us into hell, into the fires of hell forever, has been taken away entirely and completely and forever by the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world in very humble circumstances, but he came into this world the very same way we came in, through the birth canal of a woman. And that was from the Virgin Mary. And God anointed him with the Holy Ghost above all his fellows. And he is the Son of God. And he sits on a throne right now, reigning over heaven and earth. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ. The angels desire to look into this thing, that God would send a male son to deliver us from all of our sins when there was no such Savior provided for them. Do you love him this morning? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? He sits on a throne. He was in this world just 2,000 years ago, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, just like we were wrapped and laid when we were born. But God raised him from the dead because he's the Lord of glory. Without sin, he took all of our sins upon him and suffered on the cross of Calvary that we can be delivered. And we'll consider that part of his life later today when we come together tonight before the Lord's Supper.